Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 114 for Monday, November 9th, 2020. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is Johnny, or as some of you may know him, Pixel Riffs, the shining beacon of your netherite future. Hello, sir. Hello, and ticker tape falls from the parades at the <laughs> ceiling. Yeah, no, we've, um, I, I've done it. I did the thing. I, I got a netherite beacon. Uh, happened on stream basically the day after last week's show. Uh, we we got the last 404 ancient debris I needed plus a little extra, and yeah, now I'm now I'm done. <laughs> I'm I'm back to working on the museum finally, and so we may as well just get into it uh, right away. Um, yeah, the the netherite beacon is now. Uh, it takes so long to mine a block of netherite, Joel. It turns out. Uh, so I've I've set it up and not bothered to take it down and move it anywhere because of just how long it takes to disassemble the thing. And I, I've put it next to another beacon that will give me haste, just so when I do end up doing that, it takes a little bit less time. Um, but yeah, it's ridiculous having one of these things around, solid to the core. And uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like a lot of my stream audience doesn't really know what to do with itself now. It's like, wait, what do we do on these streams? We, bu we build <laughs> things and we <laughs> gather, gather wood? <laughs> what is the wood for? Surely not how for mining long, more ancient debris. How long have you been doing that? Uh, four months. We 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 worked we worked it out and um yeah it comes to roughly 120 hours worth of work I think um a lot of it in the early days was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do with like the method of gathering stuff in the first place and when I got stuck into okay I'm making TNT and digging these long tunnels and stuff like that once the method became more refined I expect it would probably have been closer to 80 hours it's still a long long time. Um, and before that, I was trying out beds, I was trying out just mining long tunnels and two by twos and all this kind of stuff, trying to find every piece of ancient debris in a chunk instead of doing the sensible thing and just kind of hedging my bets and covering as much ground as possible. Um, yeah, so it's it's been quite an experience. There's a video up about it on my YouTube channel. Uh, it was a really, really fun atmosphere. There's more people on stream than I've ever had before. I think by the end, we had about 6,000 people there. Which Holy was, nuggets. Yeah, I, I got raided by Zuma, but I had about 3,000 people when he raided. So there was a lot of stuff going on. It was it was great. And, and thanks to everybody who came out for that. It was a lot of fun. Um, but since then, I've been back at the museum working on the exhibit for ores, um, which are all overworld ores for now. I'm saving the nether stuff for a separate nether exhibit. And I've decided that coal blocks are actually going to be a really nice background for it because I didn't want the ores to blend into the background and have like a big stone wall behind them. And I've just been trying mm. to, I've been mm. trying to make every room feel slightly different instead of having like a unified look for the entire thing. Uh, so yeah, so I've got, I've got like little clusters of coal ore and iron ore and redstone, and I've tried to make it look a bit more like natural ore distribution, which is quite fun. It kind of, you know, you, you go into a, uh, a creative copy of a survival world and you just kind of dig around in caves and try and find what the typical formations are for some of the ore blocks and that kind of stuff. So I've been, been messing around with some of that. Um, in Skyblock today, I just put out a video where I was farming sand from husks, thanks to the data pack in the Skyblock map that allows you to do that. Uh, I got a tip-off from a viewer that scaffolding doesn't block sky access, but is a spawnable block. And so the problem with husks is because they will only spawn on the surface. You never find husks spawning in caves in a desert biome. You can't normally farm them with those like multi-platform mob farms. And the desert biome in this Skyblock world has been added in manually and is about... 12 blocks across right so it's not very mm. big uh but you can actually make one of those multi-platform mob farms if you make each of the platforms out of scaffolding 
and that will still spawn husks and that can still be flushed with dispensers because oh, wow. um because like water doesn't wash away blocks of scaffolding you can even waterlog them if you want to um the interesting thing i found about that was that despite the fact that husks would spawn on every layer of scaffolding when the water spread to the platform water would block husks from spawning because it blocks some element of the skylight from above even though during the night when right. they would be spawning you know it's not not a problem but i couldn't build a roof over the farm or anything because then i'd just get normal zombies so uh what i've ended up doing is sync all the platforms up so instead of having alternate water streams so that it's always producing mobs out of the farm I had to change the timer a little bit and have all of the water flush out at once. But then I'm getting like stacks of sand when I'm there for more than half an hour. So it's actually working out pretty well. <laughs> but it was nice. a great yeah. a great tip from a viewer. So if anyone feels like building a, a husk farm for whatever reason uh, in survival or in Skyblock, then scaffolding definitely the way to go. Um, outside of that, main topic for today's episode of course we're going to be looking at the snapshot i've done some creative building in the snapshot i'm building up a tower in a creative flat world based on uh taking a leaf out of your book here based on a, a steampunk uh search that i did on artstation.com i found a really cool piece of art by an artist called Dufresh, um and it's just titled steampunk and it was a really really cool cityscape that i thought made for a really nice uh, first approach to using some of the blocks like copper um, a lot of the highlights and metal and stuff in it is like pretty brassy but I, I think you know substituting copper actually looks pretty good so I've been playing around with that and it's gone really well so far and I might end up doing a little bit more of that today after the podcast nice yeah I remember the you shared the uh, the steampunk reference in our uh, pre-show in the render distance where we were talking about uh, art station and you know like building in creative and getting inspiration and stuff i might have i might have also dropped a, a note about my new um xbox series x that's coming uh, <laughs> but if you want if you want that you can check more about that in uh, the render distance the extended version of the podcast at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and i too uh, have been using uh, art station uh, more so pinterest but pinterest happened to have stuff from art station on it uh, for what I've been doing in, in Minecraft this week. And uh, I'm back to actually having a decent project. Like I'm actually, I was starting to get, I don't want to say burnt out. I was just kind of done with paths. Like I was making a lot of these roads in the medieval zone. And it's like, okay, I'm done kind of like sculpting the arrival of players. I want to build something. Like I want to erect something on the landscape and change it somehow. And I mean, medieval fantasy, I wanted to build a farm. Uh, I find them relaxing. Uh, and so uh, I... Uh, I t looked up some medieval fantasy houses and went through and I originally used uh, a piece uh, for inspiration um, and it, 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 it ended up being too big. Like I ended up, the house ended up not being much of a farmhouse, despite the drawing looking like a, f a farmhouse, the painting looks like a farmhouse. My build, because of the blockiness, because of the kind of like the bloatedness that happens when you have to translate something into Minecraft when it's a small build, uh, it ended up feeling much bigger than a farmhouse. It felt more like a small inn. Yeah. And uh -huh. so I have to, I've been working on trying to revise it. And that's what I was doing yesterday. I kind of was working on some of the landscaping and stuff. Um, but I've really been enjoying uh, this process of um, like laying out the land, changing a bunch of stuff. Like it just, it's been really, really cool. Uh, and it's, it's one of those things where it's just therapeutic. Like I'm doing yeah. a multi-tier potato farm. It's just these these great curves to it because again, this this map mod that I'm using 
uh, purely for just top-down view. Like it's really all I'm using it for. And it just makes building these large areas so much better. It's, uh, I do not miss flying around with Elytra trying to figure out whether <laughs> something looks good. Like I can yeah, tell you that yeah. right now. Yeah. You know, um, without, without having that hoverability that you have in, uh, in creative mode and something that I was taking for granted was that we used command blocks in the modern city build to walk up to a helicopter pad and press a button. It puts you into creative mode and then you can use that creative mode on the server only for flying around and looking at your skyscrapers mm -hmm. because it allows you to look at them slowly and decide, does it look good? Does it look bad? Do I have to change something without having to fly around with, with, um, with, with Elytra. And that works RP wise in a city with a helicopter pad. You just pretend like you're in a helicopter, uh, but it doesn't work in a medieval realm. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. You know, like, do I go into a dragon cave and press a button? Like, how does this work? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so it's been it's been really cool to to very quickly, very quickly lay out the lines and do these broken down. Um, broken their walls and i will have to tip my hat to a um, friend of the show whip uh, he did some very similar things in his single player world so i was looking at uh, some of the decisions and how he did it for reference as well as um mythical sausage uh because i would have pre previously done farms but they were all one big field uh, yeah. and this i've taken the time to put in paths like so walking paths where farmers would be able to walk between the crops and harvest yeah. and tend and all that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. it makes a big difference it makes it makes a really big difference well one it's a lot less to plant too <laughs> um but but it's also been been fun and i have a custom potato texture uh and so everything in the growth stage is normal but at the very end it's more of a realistic looking potato plant um rather than what minecraft gives you uh and that it fills in the space better there's less dead like negative space so it, yeah. it feels like a much more full field um and that last but not least i was messing around with some different things for the roof I, I i looked at doing some blackstone for the roof uh it does end up looking a lot more like modern black um like asphalt ceiling uh or shingles yeah, it's, it's it's more like slate tiles kind of thing yeah, almost. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I still think it would work in medieval, but I think it would work in a city, not so much on a singular farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I ended up actually going with Acacia, if you can believe it. Uh, again, inspired by the art station piece uh, because it was called Orange House, this painting that I was using. And it had these terracotta orange tiles for the roof. And it had a nice variety of colors. Some of them were weathered. Some of them had moss growing on them. And obviously I can't do that with acacia stairs, which sucks. Yeah. Um, but uh, I might be able to get away with putting some leaves. Like I might eventually at the very end when I start to dress the build with some extra foliage and stuff, I might be able to put like a vine up the side and maybe put some leaf blocks or something on the roof just to kind of like break it up. But acacia actually works pretty well. I I I've, I was pleasantly surprised by uh, the... Um, it, it wasn't as orange as I thought it was going to be uh, yeah. with regards to uh, being a roof texture. And it look, it looks, it, it actually worked out pretty well. Uh, I, I was impressed. Uh, so I'm looking forward to finishing this, making the adjustments the, the adjustment right now on the roof is going to be um, a little tricky because um, like I have to lower the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's just going to be, 
I don't like doing things twice, but I do I do have to lower the build because it, the farmhouse just looks too too big. Um, I'll have a link. I'll have a link to the post that I put, took some screenshots and put them on Twitter uh, in terms of the progress yesterday. And um, the stone walls and stuff make a big difference in having the tiered garden. Like I think as the first entry into the kingdom, it's going to look really cool. Um, I just feel like I've made this the house too large, and I I I feel like I just have to accept the mistake and move on <laughs> rather yeah. than redo the main part of the house, which I don't want to do. Yeah, the uh, the proportions of that stuff are often so difficult to get right when it's like a single house on its own, you have nothing else to compare it to, then yeah, yeah. St stuff like that can feel like, yeah, your farmer is now living in a mansion, which seems kind of strange. On, on the acacia front, though, I part of the, the palette I was using for this, um, this steampunk-inspired build was uh, red sandstone, which I don't get a chance to work with very often because it's in such short supply in a survival world because you can mm. only really craft it from red sand which can only be found in a mesa you don't tend to find red sandstone lying around and it's certainly not renewable so uh yeah using that for a change was was actually really fun and i'm trying to kind of emulate the lower section of the building being a little bit grubbier being closer to street level and also being out of the sunlight and then when the sunlight in the in the original kind of source material hits the top of this building it looks a lot brighter and redder and I feel like red sandstone was kind of the closest thing I could find to that. It also goes quite well with the copper, I'm finding. So that's kind of a, a, a block palette worth using. But yeah, interesting how these materials kind of pop out at you out of nowhere and then turn out to be the ideal thing for those projects. Well, moving on into the news, we have uh, quite a bit to talk about this week because Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 20W45A our very first look at the Caves and Cliffs update arrived last week. Uh, you can uh, check out all of the notes at minecraft.net. We'll have a link in our show notes uh, at thespawnchunks.com. We are going to go through this as best we can, and then uh, obviously our main discussion this week is going to be about the snapshot. Uh, first up, amethyst geodes. A huge amethyst geodes can be found anywhere underground in the overworld. Amethyst geodes have an outer layer of a new stone called tuff and a second layer made of calcite. Amethyst geodes have an inner layer of various amethyst blocks. Amethyst comes in block form inside the geodes in two ways, block of amethyst and budding amethyst. Blocks of amethyst can be obtained, budding amethyst cannot. Crystal clusters happen on any side of a budding amethyst block where there is air or water source block. A small amethyst bud will eventually grow. Amethyst buds can only grow when attached to budding amethyst and will grow until they become amethyst clusters. Clusters have four growth stages, small amethyst bud, medium amethyst bud, large amethyst bud, and amethyst cluster. But before the end of this news read, we're going to dislike Moyang's naming of everything. <laughs> Clusters can only grow when they are placed on budding amethyst blocks. Amethyst blocks, pardon me. Uh, fully grown amethyst clusters drop from four amethyst shards or more with fortune when an iron pickaxe or higher is used and drop nothing otherwise when broken. Clusters can be silk touched at any stage Amethyst clusters drop four amethyst shards when broken uh, or more with fortune. I guess we might have that in there twice. Uh, all types of amethyst blocks clusters included chime when you walk on them, break them, place them, or hit them with a projectile. 
the word amethyst no longer looks like a word <laughs> with the amount right? of times we've had to read through that. But yeah. that's good because we're moving on to copper. Uh, copper ore can be found in blobs across the overworld, similar to iron and coal. Uh, this is apparently not the final generation for copper. Uh, you can smelt copper ore to get a copper ingot. Nine copper ingots is crafted into a copper block, from which you can craft cut copper, cut copper stairs, and cut copper slabs. Notably, there are no slabs and stairs for the original copper block. Uh, use honeycomb to craft waxed copper blocks, which will not age. Unwaxed copper blocks will oxidize over time, and there are four stages, which are the first stage of copper, lightly weathered copper, semi-weathered copper, and finally, weathered copper. It takes 50 to 82 Minecraft days in loaded chunks for a copper block to oxidize one stage, whereas waxed copper blocks will, of course, not oxidize. You can wax any oxidation stage, allowing you to preserve lightly and semi-weathered copper. Copper ingots can also be crafted into the new lightning rod. Uh, three copper ingots will get you a lightning rod, and that will keep your build safe as long as the closest area around the lightning rod is fireproof from thunderstorms. The lightning rod will protect an area of 4 by 16 blocks around it from sometimes devastating lightning strikes, and lightning rods also give off a redstone signal when struck by lightning. The spyglass is in this snapshot. You can use your spyglass to see faraway things. The spyglass is crafted from two copper ingots and one amethyst shard. The vignette will disappear when you remove the HUD in a or for a full frame view. Tinted glass is also in the snapshot, a type of glass that does not allow light to pass through. Tinted glass is crafted by placing a glass block in the middle of four amethyst shards. Tinted glass can be obtained without silk touch it does not shatter like normal glass. And uh, uh, an outlier, something we did not expect, there is shulker reproduction. A shulker hitting another shulker with a shulker bullet can make a new shulker. <laughs> it's a bit a bit strange. We've got a couple of curveballs in here. Uh, moving on, we have bundles in the snapshot as well. Uh, a bundle can hold a mixture of items, but only up to one stack's worth, and that's a stack of 64, or in the case of items that stack to 16, they will take up the equivalent amount of space. Uh, you can use right-click to put an item into a bundle, and then right-click on the bundle itself to empty it. And this can be done either by picking up the item and right-clicking it into the bundle, or picking up the bundle and right-clicking on the items. Uh, there are also candles, which we've seen teased at uh, Minecraft Live, but were never formally announced until now. Uh, candles come in all 16 colours and one uncoloured variant, which is a sort of waxy yellow colour. Uh, up to four of one colour at a time can be placed on a single block. Uh, they have to be lit with a flint and steel. They can be waterlogged, but cannot be lit underwater. And one candle at a time can be placed on a cake for birthday celebrations, etc. There is also the ability to fill cauldrons with buckets of lava for the first time in Java Edition. I think this is a parity feature from Bedrock Edition. And it doesn't do anything especial, uh, especially different, except uh, filled lava cauldrons now give off a redstone signal strength of 1. Additional changes in 20W45A. Experience orbs now sometimes merge with uh, when in large quantities to improve performance. Players can still collect the XP at the same rate as usual. Particles now appear when pistons break blocks. Simple firework rockets with one gunpowder can now be crafted using the recipe book. Dirt paths, formerly grass paths, can now be made by using a shovel on dirt, podzol, mycelium, or coarse dirt 
as well as grass. Previously, grass was the only way you could do that. Minecraft, uh, uh, sorry, minecarts and rails work in water. All rails can be waterlogged, works with a dispenser and a water bucket as well. Flowing water does not break rails. Minecarts can pass through water, but get slowed down more than usual. Entities are now saved separately from terrain chunks. Added loot tables for a function of set batter pattern, banner pattern, um, pack format version uh, can be split into data pack and resource versions. Uh, servers can now require custom resource packs to be accepted. There were also a host of other bug fixes. We will not read those out. You can go find those at minecraft.net. And before we move on from the news, uh, one quick thing that's come up. There is a brand new Minecraft novel announced called Minecraft The Shipwreck. Uh, separate from the series by Max Brooks, this is a new one by an author called C.B. Lee. Uh, it's going to be, oh, it has been released already, sorry, uh, November 3rd, 2020 was the release date, and the blurb is as follows. Imagine you're wandering about the overworld, minding your own business, when you find a weird clue to a riddle which leads to a secret puzzle trail, and before you know it, you're on an adventure to discover who made this world and why. Once again, there's a link in our show notes to a brief interview with C.B. Lee on Minecraft.net, talking about the origins of the book and where the book goes. So, uh, a snapshot for, for 1.17 already. Uh, I feel like this has been kind of a surprise, and as we mentioned earlier, we are going to be dedicating our main discussion in this episode to our opinions on the snapshot features. Both Joel and I, I think, have spent a little bit of time in the snapshot, uh, just messing around with stuff in creative, maybe tinkering with a couple of things in survival where it required. Um, someone, th the first thing I want to point out here is that somebody on Reddit has pointed out that waxed, lightly weathered cut copper stairs is now the longest item name in Minecraft. <laughs> it has presumably taken that honor from cracked, polished blackstone bricks, um, but is just as difficult to say, if not more so, and congratulations on having something like a 46-character long name. Apparently that doesn't fit in an anvil if you try to rename the block, <laughs> so... Um, I don't know, maybe a little bit of moving stuff around is going to have to happen there. And anything else like that jump out at you from the uh, the snapshot so far, Joel? Yeah, the the names like that are are hard to swallow, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, and I, and I didn't really think about it much until we we got into um, the amethyst talk in in the newsread, and it like there's a lot like there's a lot of really complicated. It gets very granular, doesn't it? Yeah. Similar similar sounding names, but very different function. And I kind of feel like they're going to have to simplify things at, at some point, for sure. Uh, one thing that uh, I wanted to mention, there are some great videos out there exploring the technical features of the snapshot. A uh, friend of the show, Exumavoid, has a video out uh, early, uh, late last week. Uh, and as well as uh, Ray's Works, who I've been watching more and more for technical stuff like farming and things. Um, I haven't watched all of Ray's works videos. Um, we'll have links to two, um, one from each creator in the show notes, but um, Ray's works has uh, two or three videos. Um, a little bit of a clickbaity titles in some of them um, because of like, you know, lava cauldrons and, and shulker duplicating and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I think that when you get down and, and watch it, it's just really cool to see people that have a very deep technical knowledge of Minecraft experimenting with some of the new the new blocks and some of the new techniques. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, uh, actually in the render distance in our pre-show was, you know, messing around and creative with the, the snapshot after I did the same thing at the end of one of my streams last week, actually the day that the, the snapshot came out, I was sitting there thinking like, I kind of wonder because of, uh, the length of time we have between now and when Caves and Cliffs comes out, 
I might start a single player world that's snapshot and uh-huh. just so like I yes creative I I I tend not to for whatever reason I tend not to build much in creative I tend to just mess about with like palette combos and stuff sure, like that yeah um but I feel like I would be maybe have a I would maybe have a better opinion of like how hard is it to get amethyst stuff is copper really a pain in the butt if i have to go from stage one all the way to stage three or four uh in a real survival world so yeah. I'm, I'm i'm contemplating it's not going to be like a full-time thing it's going to be like a pop in and work on something a little bit whenever a new snapshot comes out sort of idea uh so maybe a world that you'd only re- you know only visit once or twice a month sort of idea yeah um, but it's it's tempting because i think that given that they want to do some feedback on this this caves and cliffs update I think that it's kind of hard to drop those opinions without really spending some time messing around. I'm only concerned that I might then spoil the splash of the full update when it is released next year, having spent time in it already, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting time to start a new snapshot world in this snapshot in particular because I think there are still a lot of changes that aren't in this snapshot. For example, we've seen... Nothing about new cave generation, lush caves, dripstone caves, that kind of stuff. And uh, we are potentially going to get into that in this week's email. Uh, So we'll move on to that now. Uh, Quick email note before we begin. Um, The email address to email the show, if you want to get your uh, email considered for reading on the show, is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please make sure you send your email to this address and not any of the email addresses we've said in some of our older episodes we had an original kind of business inbox that is now just a business inbox because we get enough volume of mail that we're getting help sorting through some of it and we are only reading email that gets sent to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com uh we delete anything that goes to the business inbox now just because it helps to keep things a little clearer for us and there were some really great emails in the inbox this week but given the amount of stuff there is to talk about with this snapshot we're going to keep some of those in the hopper for potential future episodes and have this email that came in from nh fosters and the subject was is 20w45a too early Hey Pix and Joel, I've been playing around with all of the new stuff in the snapshot, and don't get me wrong, it's really cool. I will always welcome new content for me and my friends to play around with. I was thinking I was thinking about the timing of this snapshot. Did Mojang jump the gun in the excitement to show us what they've been working on and to start getting community feedback? We're only one month out of Minecraft Live and we're already getting a boatload of exciting new content. If Mojang keeps up with the Wednesday updates they did in 1.16, they will have around 27 more snapshots before we even reach spring of 2021. Do they have enough content to do something new every snapshot? I don't think so. Can they spread out the new content in a way that will keep the hype up in the community? We'll have to wait and see. The community has gotten used to having to say this snapshot was mostly bug fixes, but you can tell we don't like to say that. So what do you think? Was this too early? Can Mojang drip out content at a rate that will satisfy the hungry community? I'd love to hear your thoughts. A fellow spachunker, NH Fosters. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Bit of cave diving, bit of cave diving puns. Um, yeah, personally, I was really surprised to see a snapshot this early. Um, it was clear that some of these features are fairly complete. Um and we saw various features in various stages of completion i think at minecraft live but it was certainly a a bit of a <laughs> a bit of a surprise to have one this early when we know that the update is not meant to be fully released or they are not planning to fully release it until summer of 2021 
Um, but the Bedrock community had just got their hands on goats and powder snow in the most recent beta, so you kind of assumed that something like this might be in the pipeline for Java players as well. So a welcome surprise for me. Uh, how about you, Joel? Yeah, I was also surprised that the snapshot came out because someone was in my live chat and they're like, does new snapshot come out today? I was like, for Caves and Glyphs? Like, really? Yeah, we're, yeah. We were looking at that after the end of the stream. Like, that's the worst to get around for an extra half an hour. I think it actually ended up being more like, you know, an extra 45 minutes because it was mm -hmm. just so much to look at. Yeah. Um, in response to, like, some of the things that, that NH Fosters was saying, I don't think we're going to get weekly snapshots. I think yeah. it'll be more like whenever stuff is ready, uh, ready for feedback, we might get them. Uh, and I think what we'll probably be uh, positioned to expect is the next snapshot is probably not going to be Wednesday. It's probably going to be maybe next week or the week after. And I think if they set that expectation of, like, two weeks or three weeks in between them then people are like okay well maybe they're only going to be coming out every two to three weeks and that way it, they won't you know go through they won't be expecting as much um i think they have a delicate line to walk with how far away caves and cliffs is supposed to come out and uh if they start doing snapshots because that's just a long time to have a breadcrumb trail for players to yeah. see the content sort of be able to play with it but unless they want to deal with the pitfalls of a brand new snapshot world um then if they want for anybody that has a server or you know wants to experience um the caves and cliffs in their existing worlds like that just becomes like how is your stuff going to break like you just have to have that willingness to have nothing be precious for the next eight months or yeah. more yeah um and so that's that's a tricky um position however uh they did mention the devs did mention in minecon live that or minecraft live sorry uh that they want um, feedback from players and so it makes sense to have the snapshots coming out earlier um, it's worth mentioning too that there's going to be very likely a healthy holiday break where snapshot updates are not going to happen yeah uh, and and remember snapshots are not always new content they can also include or be entirely iterations of potential updates so they've added geodes and stuff in this in this past snapshot they might just change them and that might be the only thing that changes in the next snapshot right so it could be here's some new features we're going to tinker with these new features until we get them to the point where we're happy before you see more quote-unquote new content right yeah and that to me actually from a development standpoint and i might be speaking outside the box here that sort of makes sense like we've added copper we've added lightning rods we've added like all the things that we listed just a few minutes ago we're going to refine this stuff until we're pretty happy with it with um community feedback before you see lush caves the warden um what, uh, what's the other the, the like axolotls skull, skull sensors like axolotls yeah, yeah. yeah like i think there's and and it would make sense that you're not going to see axolotls until you see caves right because that's where they're found right it's in that's where you get them right isn't, isn't yeah caves? lush caves i think they're supposed to be that's yeah. where they they end up spawning so. so there i think there's going to be like batches of things that are going to make sense but um one thing that it, it did um kind of make me remember was like this is the caves and cliffs update and the only thing cave and cliff really related in terms of the the direct meanings of those words is the geodes yeah like every everything else that we've got in the snapshot is all the other stuff and it just made me remember how much other stuff there was in in the announcement and it's great like it's, it's good to see so much coming even if the names are longer than my left arm 
Yeah, um, it's it's probably going to be a while until we see anything from the new cave generation because they did mention in an Ask Mojang video that they're still trying to work out whether changes to world height or terrain height are viable, and that brings with it a delay to the other announced features like stalagmites and uh, you know all the dripstone cave stuff, moss blocks, that kind of thing. So before we before we get hold of the deep dark we need to know where the deep dark is even going to generate <laughs> and they then they're not exactly certain about that at this stage or if they are then they haven't really communicated that publicly so yeah it is going to be a while i think and joel you're right i think it would make sense for them to set a precedent for there not being a snapshot every week um i am i would be delighted to be proved wrong <laughs> in that if they have enough content to seed it over the next 27 weeks and still have something new coming out then great. Another alternative to that would be that I know a lot of people tend to get that that new update itch when the snapshots fall so close to the deadline for the update coming out or the the you know the projected deadline for it and people tend to stop playing Minecraft and so I wonder if maybe having some of these features arrive earlier gets people excited for them but then they go back to playing regular Minecraft for you know the current release of Minecraft for longer and then you know, the excitement happens all over again once the full update is released. Like, I don't know what the real time window is there between it being, you know, sort of old news at that point, and we've seen all of these features before, to there being enough of a gap that people are then excited about it all over again when the full release arrives. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we'll 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 see. Um, We may as well move on from that, though, to our full discussion about 20W45A, because... Yeah, it, there's there's a lot to cover here. We're going to try and go through uh, point by point, but there are many, many features here. We will inevitably miss a couple of things that I'm sure folks will let us know. And of course, if you've got your own opinions about the snapshot, please feel free to send them into the the email address we mentioned above. Thanks again to uh, to NH Fosters for that, that email. So um, let's start with copper for a start, because I feel like this is one of the things that touches a lot of different levels of gameplay. For a start, it's a caving thing, even though the ore generation isn't final, but then you and I as builders are probably quite excited about copper before we think about much else in this snapshot. So how do you feel about copper so far, having had a, a poke around with it? Uh, I actually didn't realize and had a viewer point out that it's a different color uh and texture than uh the we originally saw in yeah. minecraft live it's, it has uh, much, changed much brighter much more orange uh i don't necessarily feel it really it doesn't look like a metal block to me it looks like an orange block mm -hmm. uh and so there's lots of time and i want to i want to be clear that this is all constructive there's lots of time for that to be changed and, and iterated on uh, i actually think i prefer some of the weathered textures that they've added in this particular uh, snapshot to what we saw at Minecraft Live. Uh, they're a little bit more subtle, less of a hard edge. It doesn't look like something flaking off. It looks more like a, a gradual kind of like eroding of the surface yeah. of the block, which makes more sense. Yeah. Um, I did also find, however, that the final stage, the weathered stage of copper is very close to um, prismarine bricks. Uh, and uh, they they almost blend in. Um, and so it's a little bit tricky in that way and that it, it's like you want something that will maybe give you some a palette um, option for texturing that's going to jive with other blocks but yeah. it's almost indiscernible it's so close whereas it was much more blue 
uh, in Minecraft Live. Um, the other thing that I noticed that uh, right away was that it doesn't have the vertical texture. It's more of a two by two texture, much the same uh, uh, as purple blocks are. Yes. Uh, yeah. In, in an even split. And so I was like, well, that's, I mean, it's fine. It, I don't mind it, but it's like, I kind of wonder why they went with that because the copper was already very different, you know, by having a different texture uh, and having vertical lines. And I was immediately looking forward to having things that looked like they had like corrugated metal walls vertically, you know, because it's one of the things that you can't get with, uh, you can get it with logs, but you can't get it with any kind of like sub block texture. Like logs are not split in two vertically. Like you can't get vertical planks, you know? Yeah. So uh, if you want some sort of vertical lines going, copper was going to be your your go-to, uh, and now it's going to be a giant checkerboard. So, uh, or at least at present, I should say. Um, and I find, uh, like I said, the, the non-weathered are really orange, uh, and I put them next to acacia, and they're almost the same color. And yeah, so it's... I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering if we're going to ha have it be pulled back. And I I I was thinking in my head, like I even remember correcting myself on stream, going like, okay. My brain, when I think copper, I think is thinking incorrect. If I stripped out a wire in my house and looked at the copper inside of it, it's probably just as bright as what I'm looking at on yes. the Minecraft screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm probably thinking about bronze more often than I'm thinking about copper when I think about a block of metal or something in the world that's made of bronze. Uh, and so I, I think that it's one of those things where copper is a cool addition, but I kind of wonder whether Minecraft has to maybe not be so literal with this interpretation i think maybe a br more bronze color might be more usable yeah and um, potentially and bronze is yeah it's an alloy composed of copper and tin and a few other things so it's mm. certainly a starting point for something like copper i sort of wonder if further down the line if alloys become more of a factor in minecraft then we might have a little yeah. bit more variation and this is just the start of that but again that that's all sort of far future i think at this point my my main issue with copper right now and i'll get onto what i like about it in a second is that it doesn't have a variant that doesn't have a bevel around the outside so everything looks tiled in a very obvious oh, way that's yeah. that's kind of my main thing uh, what i would love from copper the one thing i feel is missing right now is the smooth sandstone equivalent right not the cut sandstone we're talking about the smooth sandstone that you get from smelting blocks of sandstone so that they have a very kind of linear texture and you can't tell where one block is to another if you look at them from a distance when they're all next to each other so yeah i i, I missed that from copper right now because if i want to make a pipe out of copper the pipe is not going to have rivets every meter along it right it's going to be a continuous thing of metal um and so right now it feels like it's missing that however i really like copper so far I think as far as the color is concerned, I'm not too fussed about that. I think it's it's easy enough to build with as a copper block. Um, in creative, when you have easy access to all of the blocks and variants, then that's a little bit easier. I think in-game, it's going to be more of a challenge to get the gradient you want from new to weathered blocks. And I found they work best in a gradient. If you They start to clash if you jump straight from fresh copper to semi-weathered copper they don't really tend to look like the same thing aside from the texture and they don't tend to sit quite right next to each other it's a pretty high contrast um but if you go through lightly weathered to semi-weathered to fully weathered and back it creates this really beautiful uh like transition between them that i like a lot and i can see myself using that gradient a lot more 
is the kind of thing that I think people have been trying to achieve with other blocks in the game for quite some time, you know, yeah. with bricks, cracked bricks, andesite, and then cobblestone all kind of like trying to make it look like this wall is gradually falling apart sort of yeah. idea. Yeah, and, when when, and... when Gemini Tay was on the show, she talked a lot about using gradients in her own builds mm -hmm. and, and roofs made out of stuff like that, where you start off with something like pumpkins, and then you put honeycomb, and then you put beehives, and then you put planks, and that actually lends to a really nice transition, which I think copper does all on its own with just a few block variants, and it does it in an incredibly satisfying way when you put them all lined up next to each other just the the build i was playing around with in creative i've used that on a couple of pipes and i think it looks superb um the aging process is an interesting one i've actually tested it using the time add command not a time set but a time add so i moved the world forward a day at a time and it did nothing <laughs> so moving it forward 50 to 85 days using commands doesn't do anything. We can presume from that that the aging mechanic is based on game ticks rather than what day it is in the Minecraft day-night cycle. So you can't fast-forward the aging process by skipping the nights by sleeping in a bed, for example. It's actually got to be there for the game tick equivalent of 50 in-game days which I believe is about 24 hours or something, right? <laughs> Give or take, yeah. It's yeah, between it's... 22 and 24 hours. And, I mean, I just anticipate that being a huge pain. Uh, yeah. I think you're going to see these... I, I'm imagining huge, quote-unquote, drying fields of <laughs> copper. <laughs> right, uh, yeah. And then people setting real-world smartphone timers to say, go check your oxidation at, like, 16 hours to make sure. Because if you don't, <laughs> then yeah. you're going to miss it. And you're going to be, like, really upset that you let it go all the way uh, and that there's no way to go back. Uh, I do like, uh, and I think it's a very simple and Minecrafty way, of adding the wax to them and freezing them at whatever stage you want to keep them at. I think that's great. Yeah, it uh, is. It, it adds yet another use for bees. Yes, uh, and, and, hun and honeycomb gets another use beyond just being a aesthetic block as well. So that's very yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't you use honeycomb to make beehives? Like, isn't that a... Yeah, it's it's be it's beehives with planks and honeycomb, right? Right. You, when you're making right. the manually created ones, but right. now, but once now, you have them, you don't need them anymore. Yeah. Yes, and and now bee nests are renewable as well. Like there's there's you know you can use one or the other at this point. Um. So so having honeycomb have uses like that is great. It's also used for candles, which we'll get onto a little bit later. Um. I think it's kind of interesting that copper, I mean, presumably won't retain its age when you pick it back up again. So if you decide you want to move that copper block you've been trying to age, then, well, the process starts again, right? Um, and right now, I don't know if you'd be able to gather enough to build with in survival. Like, I know the terrain, the, the, the vein generation for copper is not final, but you probably need to find, like, close to a stack in one place if you need let's say 90 ore just to make 10 blocks because each of these blocks has to be made out of nine ingots of copper so like if you imagine building out of iron without using an iron farm and every block you want to place has to be nine iron ingots that's going to be a lot of mining very quickly yeah and i know that a lot of this update is going to be focused on the caving experience and so they're looking for ways to encourage players to go mining but it's going to be a lot of mining, <laughs> and I mean a lot, uh, unless they want to add in a renewable way of getting copper ingots. And I've had a couple of suggestions related to copper from my stream, one of which was that the drowned could end up dropping copper ingots instead of the gold ingots they currently drop, uh, which I think is quite a good plan because 
zombie piglins already drop gold ingots and gold nuggets, so having the drowned drop copper could work pretty well. It also kind of fits quite well with the drowned's whole aesthetic, really, like the yeah. the, the, the underwater kind of drowned sailors with all of the algae and stuff and coral sticking to them and whatnot. I think it makes a lot of sense for the drowned to drop copper. Um, and a drowned farm is not an easy thing to build early game. You can, if you're a mad lad and want to build a drowned farm day one, uh, but but I think it's going to be more of a challenge for technical players and would potentially mean, you know, if if they get a few copper ingots out of it. It's it's not a it's not a particularly fast process getting gold out of a drowned farm right now. So could potentially work that way. And I didn't test this, but I don't imagine you can use uh, copper in a stone cutter because it's usually only stone items that you can put in there, which I, means that if you're making stairs and slabs, you're making it the old-fashioned way and you're not getting a one-to-one yes, you are your getting copper stairs. You're getting four-cut copper stairs. And yeah, I did test the stone cutter the first thing I tried because I thought, yeah, we're going to <laughs> gonna have to conserve some of this. But no, it doesn't work because, again, like yeah. you said, not a, not a stone block. Um, the other thing I had suggested in my stream that I thought was pretty good was... Uh, copper blocks aging faster if they were placed in water to save having to wait three days in real time for, yep. for blocks to fully weather and i don't know how difficult that would be to implement but it's a start right because you know that people are going to want to get that intentionally i feel like the way mojang wants to implement this feature is for players to build stuff out of copper and let it weather naturally so you build it assuming that the blocks are going to weather as they go but then you have the problem of once the blocks reach the stage where you're like, actually, I really like that. I want to keep it that way. You then have to mine the block, coat it in honeycomb and put it back. And that feels like a more laborious process, which some players aren't really going to be too keen on. Some people in I, I asked on Twitter earlier what people had, what opinions people had of this snapshot so far. And a few people suggested um, you should be able to right-click on copper with honeycomb to wax it while it is still placed in the world instead of having it be a crafting recipe, which might work out. I'm not sure, you know, what Mojang thinks of that, but I, I think it would be a uh, an interesting way of doing it so you can just wander over your roof and right-click on stuff when you think it looks good, and that saves the additional step of, oh, you know, bre wow. yeah. breaking the whole roof up and then crafting it together with honeycomb and then putting it back. Um, yeah. So that's another option as well. I feel like there are maybe quality of life changes to be still made with copper to make it more viable for survival. But right now, as a block to build within creative, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Before we move on from copper, we should talk about lightning rods. And uh, I found, while very cool in shape and, and cool that you can place them horizontally as well as vertically on, on different surfaces, uh -huh. I find them even brighter than oh, yeah. the yeah, orange copper block. Like they're, they're like almost a yellow. They're about as bright as I think the copper blocks were in the original Minecraft Live show. I yeah. think they've they've toned down the copper block but left the lightning rod as it was. It's it's pretty polished looking. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty shiny. Uh I I'm not sure the function is gonna be as useful given the small radius uh and how garish they are. Like they don't really uh -huh. they're gonna stand out like a sore thumb on just about anything that you build. Uh, and so I really feel that players are just gonna turn off fire tick as they usually often do. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's unfortunate because I don't think it's giving players well and I should say that I'm specifically talking about Java players um, a an option to leave fire tick on if they wanted to and then have an option to then protect their builds I don't think it's really going to because I don't want lightning rods every 16 blocks or 32 blocks like <laughs> your whole town would have to be riddled with these things for it to actually protect enough um, 
I do think, however, uh, they make very cool candlesticks. Uh, was one of the first things <laughs> I do, did yeah. was put a candle on top of them. They do, they're a little bit small when you start to put groups of candles, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but when you start to put groups of candles, they don't fit on top of the little end, much like they don't fit on the top of a fence post either. Um, but, but for just a single candle... Uh, you know, it just kind of makes me remember my days as a child in church. Like you see the candelabras and the single candle holders and they're always really fancy and shiny. And like, it does look like that. Like it, it, you can combine it with other things as well to make it like a two meter tall, you know, um, candle holder. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it does, it does work in, in that way. And I think anybody building any kind of like sci-fi or, or, or steampunky thing to be able to put like two or more of the lightning rods together along a wall it's it's going to look like circuitry or pipes or like you you it's going to be able to jive in a bunch of different ways yeah i i tried building a robot out of copper just like a little kind of steampunk mech style thing before i started the 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 gate the gateway build and uh yeah just using those as kind of joints and like telescoping sections for like a, a hydraulic or you know mm. pneumatic style thing you know that that could could very easily be used for the lightning rod decoratively without it having to worry about its its function um i haven't messed around with the lightning rod much outside of that uh somebody on reddit probably had my favorite use for the lightning rod which was pointing out that since it gives off a redstone signal you could wire it to a dispenser dispensing a pumpkin onto an iron go uh, iron golem frame and then you've basically recreated frankenstein at that stage nice. it's like the lightning strike actually creates the the beast um which i thought was was pretty funny um the kind of traditional like bolt through the neck style frankenstein if you want those to be the iron golems um let's move on to amethyst though uh even though i think the word has now kind of started to look like a word again for me because we've been <laughs> off the topic for a while um so amethyst geodes to me feel like the most complete feature they've given us in this snapshot so far right there are multiple blocks there are these crystals with the different growth stages there are amethyst shards that unlock the tinted glass recipe and the telescope recipe which we knew about already but the tinted glass is from out of left field in this snapshot which is super cool we'll get to it um it all feels really well thought through i love the sound interactions the fact that as soon as you're in this crystal cave the the footsteps kind of create these lovely chime sounds i throw a snowball at the wall of this geode i also get one of those chime sounds like i feel like that as an experience already feels quite complete not to mention the fact that we've got tough and calcite around the the outside of those which are two interesting building blocks to work with um Looking at them in spectator mode, which is the first thing I did when I loaded up a new snapshot world, was go into spectator mode, go straight underground to try and find them. They're a lot more common than I expected, but I feel like when you do that with looking for dungeons, dungeons are more common than you expect as well. It's just, um, it takes a lot of luck to run into one. Um, I expect you might be able to hear the chiming sounds of mobs walking around on the geode blocks, because they will still create that sound as well it's not just players so maybe we'll end up with you know listening through cave walls for the kind of the telltale tinkle of of geodes nearby um but it's still going to take quite a lot of luck to run into one did you bother looking for a geode in a snapshot world or did you just go and place the blocks from creative i well i was in creative mode but yeah i switched into into spectator and dropped below the, the yeah. earth and it I, it didn't take very long uh, they're really they're easy to spot in in um spectator yeah uh and i didn't have to travel very far the problem is like if you if you're in survival and you're mining and like i would have had to mine at like a 30 degree angle from where i was standing to actually hit it um 
But I would imagine if you're doing any kind of strip mine or branch mining, if you cover a large enough area, if you are going to hit one, you're not going to miss it. Yeah. Like, you're, like they're, they're what, like 12 blocks wide? Something like that. Probably so more like, than that, I'd say, with yeah, the, uh, the outer coating. On. Yeah, well, that's right, of course. Yeah, I was just thinking more about like the visual impression that the, the, um, the amethyst blocks make but yeah, yeah you're right like so you there's a really good chance that you're going to be finding these uh on your own and um i think it's kind of one of those things where given how i don't want to say evenly but they were pretty spaced out so i feel like if you were looking for them specifically once you found one you could almost kind of engineer a process of like well i know i'm not going to need to look nearby I'm going to go over and look in this other direction for another one. And you'd be more likely to find one kind of like in another thing. Yeah. I didn't really pay much attention to what height they were spawning at though. Cause I just kind of flew down through the world in spectator. I didn't really pay attention to where I was. Um, and that all could change as well. Um, what I think would be really cool is that right now we're looking at these geodes as their own separate thing. Um, but we, you know, we see what happens when things like a village or a Minecraft, um, mine shaft, uh, or something like a stronghold intersect a um, a ravine, right? So what happens when a geode kind of overlaps a lush cave? Or like, are you going to have to dig to find geodes? Or are you going to be walking through a lush cave and go, oh, crap, there's one right there. Like, that could be very cool. There, there could be some overlapping experiences that we just don't have visuals on yet. Yeah, I was messing around in my creative snapshot world and i found a geode that was right next to a zombie spawner and so outside of the sort of mouth of the geode where it's open on one side there was mossy cobble and a uh, a mob spawner so th those definitely have the chance to intersect right now and i don't imagine they will like overrule each other to the point where a mineshaft won't generate a geode so wandering through an abandoned mineshaft and it going straight through the center of a geode would be very very cool and yeah, it might even no, absolutely. might even add some lore to maybe what the abandoned mine shafts were looking for in the first place if these geodes became like the desirable thing to find um so part of me wishes that the crystals and stuff gave off more light right now the largest crystal clusters give off a light level of five and i think it goes one two three five or maybe one two four five for the the smaller stages um but I feel like it'll still be good atmosphere for caves if you want to throw some of those in. And we have plenty of other light sources that you can conceal in a cave setting. So it kind of makes sense. Um, I'm very happy that there are renewable amethyst blocks that we can take with us for building. Um, I wasn't entirely clear whether they plan to let us move any of the blocks from this geode if they would all end up being crystal growing ones. But it turns out that's just the occasional block of budding amethyst of which there are, I'd say, probably... 20 or so in some of the geodes that i've found so it's not an insignificant number um and they've been clear about their reasons for that from the announcement so i'm, I'm in no illusions about whether that's you know a, a good decision by them or not i think it works great um mainly i was thinking we were going to have to travel further to find these but i guess i was thinking about it in terms of these things generating outside of the boundary of my existing world whereas generating a brand new world they're potentially going to be anywhere so accessible enough at the moment i think um calcite and tuff let's talk about those because uh i really like calcite quite a lot i think it's a nice marble looking block in a way that quartz and diorite both aren't um and so having that white marble texture is really quite nice 
uh tough is harder <laughs> we'll say harder yeah. um and I, while i don't mind it right now i think it has a, a good texture to work with on its own but i think finding other materials to work with it is the challenge right now to me the tough looks sort of like um cobblestone but from a fancier resource pack you know something like conquest i can imagine there being like a seaside cottage or like a medieval town where the walls of of all of the houses were made out of tough and that was basically like the cobblestone variant but it would probably have other textures that worked better with it as it is right now it kind of stands out from all the other stone types are you getting that impression as well yeah uh i like the how do i put this the tone of the texture Mm -hmm. so that is to say the black and white the contrast is pretty good the hue of the texture is very blue yeah uh and so it doesn't like and that's where i usually have a problem when you're trying to put it next to other things and you're just like what why why is this blue uh and you don't notice it until you start to put it next to other gray things um and yeah so i had the exact same experience with tough and calcite i i put some tough down immediately was kind of like off put by the fact that it sounds like netherrack so and it's funny how we've got to a point now in minecraft where the sound will influence what your brain thinks of the material. So I don't think of it as a stone. I think of it as like a spongy, squishy thing because it makes a splat when you put it down. Yeah, it, uh, I, I, I did a quick look into this and it's actually the same sound more or less. And and it, it, may, it may not be, but it sounds to me like it is the same sound as basalt uses, but pitched ah. up maybe one or two semitones. I think it's right. it's just like a slightly higher version of basalt, which has that kind of like rough, dry crackle when you put it down. But when you pitch it up, I agree, it does kind of have something more akin to uh, the kind of squishier sound of netherrack or slime blocks or slime jumping sounds or honey, maybe. Um, right. So I think it's the pitch of it that is messing with it slightly because otherwise I think they are probably using a very similar sound to the, the one they use for basalt. Yeah, but I, I again to 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 go back to your point, I don't I don't find it really works. Like I tried to put it next to cobble, which was the first thing I tried, and it just yeah. it felt very grid pattern. It felt like a checkerboard. It didn't yeah. really have the it same sort of line up. No, the same sort of like when you what I'm looking for, I think, with new blocks is the same sort of like same but different you can get with a block of regular stone and andesite. Like yeah, when you uh-huh. start peppering in andesite and stone, you get this different but very um, uh, uh, harmonized kind of texture um, between the two of them. And I find that you know, with the tough, it just didn't, didn't jive. And I have to say, like, when you put calcite next to things like quartz, it also doesn't look great. Like, it doesn't, the, the texture is at an angle uh, compared to quartz, which is a, a much more subtle texture. Um, however, I had a lot more fun with calcite building with, like, I did, like, a quick um, wall with, like, uh, uh logs and and calcite recessed behind the logs and mm-hmm. the kind of thing that most people would use either wool or diorite uh for in in current you know kind of minecraft builds that you see a lot and calcite gives a really nice alternative to diorite which is kind of like well i don't have anything else so i'm using this yeah <laughs> sort uh-huh. of situation and i think calcite has this nice rustic white kind of like wall or floor thing to it um at present we don't have any other versions other than a block i'm kind yeah. of hoping we get stairs and slabs yeah and yeah like ma- mandatory like builder call out for let us have slabs and stairs yeah, in this, this exactly. new building block please or a wall you know like we don't have a white wall you know quartz doesn't have a wall that i'm aware of um, yeah 
So like stuff like that, I feel uh, would be would be nice because I mean the amount of times that I've run into not even having a regular stone wall. We have stone brick wall, but we don't have a regular stone wall. But yet we've got diorite and um, uh, and um, what's the one? Well, no, it's not even diorite. It's polished diorite. Polished diorite. Polished granite and polished no it's not polished um andesite it's just a regular andesite wall so like stuff like that uh like you're kind of hoping for you get this nice new texture but then you can only use it in block form then that really narrows down what you can do with it yeah uh, the being more of a backdrop block the use cases become fewer and further between I've, i've done a couple of sort of texture tests with with tough and it sits in a weird it occupies a very strange space in the gradient of stone blocks we've got right now you think about starting from blackstone going through basalts maybe throwing in some stuff like dead coral and then gravel and then cobblestone and then stone and andesite as you get lighter and lighter and like you say it's very it's got that very blue green sort of look to it and so i find it pairs best right now with mossy cobblestone and then you start to work in things that don't necessarily like blend with the texture so much but have a similar sort of hue to them and you get into stuff like prismarine and warped wart and dark prismarine especially and they have more of the kind of bluish green that works quite well with that and i wonder if it would end up working well with stuff like weathered copper in the end as well there's there's a couple of things there that have a little bit of harmony with it but then they don't necessarily jive with the texture and in context is is the kind of the hardest part to find for tough because a lot of the time you are pairing blocks that look a little bit more organized like dark prismarine where it's a very clear tiled texture with something like tough that feels very like natural rough rocky organic kind of stuff and and i th- and i think part of the issue with matching the blocks too is that um in a lot of ways things uh, will have a directional texture. So you'll yeah. have things yeah, like yeah, trees yeah. or bark or basalt and they'll be directional. And tough has a diagonal texture. Yes. And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why it works so well with mossy cobble. Cobble doesn't really have a directional texture. It's kind of uniform. So when you put it all together, it just kind of all meshes together. Uh, when you put it next to tough, it, it really stands out. But if you put it next to mossy cobblestone, the moss on the mossy cobblestone has an angle to it. Like it doesn't go vertically or horizontal. It kind of just kind of squirrels around in a diagonal. And I think that meshes better with the diagonal texture of tough. And I'm kind of wondering whether um, that could be, you know, changed like to, to um, builder's advantage because it's the same thing with calcite. Calcite has a slight angle. It's not 45, but it's like a 30 degree angle yeah, to, yeah. to the texture. And if it was vertical or horizontal, I feel like you'd be able to use it with much more uh, or many more blocks. Uh, but because it's got that funny angle, like even if something matches color-wise, if the angle of the texture is the reverse or different or just a different direction, it's just going to have a funny border to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's maybe a little bit more experimentation to be had there, but at least having some new blocks like this is an interesting challenge for folks who are into building. Before we get away from copper and amethyst, let's talk about the combination of the two uh, in the form of the spyglass. Uh, I don't know how much messing around you've had uh, time to do with the spyglass, but um, I find that the most useful thing about it is the fact that you can press F1 to hide the HUD and remove the vignette, to me. Um, I think it's good that if you remove the HUD, it doesn't like just leave the giant black circle kind of thing around there, because... Um, 
yeah i think it's nice for zooming in on stuff at a distance taking screenshots that kind of stuff i imagine people will want to use it for that in the same way that we use optifine now um the other things are it zooms in way more than optifine like it, it sort of feels like the way optifine zooms when you've also set your fov to 30 <laughs> you know right. it's it's showing you the tiniest kind of and, and and very very far away kind of detail almost for some people i'm imagining beyond what their render distance is set to so i'm not sure if they have a plan to compensate for that but most of the time i play on a render distance of like 16 to 24 so it's not as much of a problem for me um it limits your walk speed when you're using it as well so much like when you're holding a shield up in front of you you will start to walk very slowly and i don't see people really using that for much but it's noticeable when I'm used to kind of zooming in and out as I have the Optifine zoom key held down. I'm kind of moving back and forward trying to find the right angle for it. That happens a lot slower with the telescope. Um, but I guess it prevents you from just walking into a ravine while you've got this thing held up to your eye and you're, you know, looking at stuff on the other side of a plane's biome. So maybe that makes sense to me. Um, overall, not bad is my impression of the spyglass. I think the one thing standing in its way right now is convenience of use. Um, I tried putting it in my offhand for a while, and that's an absolute no-no when you are placing blocks, because half the time you start accidentally zooming in on stuff, right? Oh, like, yeah. you're holding down right-click to place a row of blocks, and then suddenly your field of view jerks inwards like you're trying to start using the spyglass, and, like, I had to move it out of my offhand immediately. Um, and it, it's also having to then go searching through your inventory to find the spyglass again is not my favorite activity so a keybind is going to be very nice for this if we get one and i was thinking maybe if you want to have something like say you hold the t key on your keyboard and that swaps it into your offhand for the duration that t is held down and then you can right click to use it um but just having like a kind of combination like that makes it feel a little bit more technical but just having a way to quickly swap it in and out when you want to use it so that you don't have to worry too much about fumbling around through your inventory I think the only problem with that, <laughs> because cascading problems with this thing, then becomes parity with Bedrock for mobile users, because there right. aren't any keys that you can hold down on Bedrock Edition. It's all, you know, touch-based. So yeah. I think it, it becomes a little bit more of a, uh, a tricky prospect at that stage. So again, with this trying to be the thing that allows Bedrock users to zoom and then is also available to Java users for that kind of use as well, I'm still not entirely convinced. I like it. I want to like it more at this point. I messed around with it very briefly just to say like, oh, okay, works as expected. Um, I was thinking about like bedrock players that don't have access to things like Optifine and, and saying, all right, well, that's cool. I mean, like it's, it's okay. It's one of those things where like, this is something that I would want very early in the game to yeah. spy ores on a cliff from far away. And that's one of the tests I did. It's like, all right, well, let's look at this little bit of exposed stone there on that island. And I zoomed in and I thought, okay, if there was like iron or, or uh, coal in that wall, I'd be able to tell from by zooming in where I would not be able to see it or very likely would I miss it if I was just kind of looking with the, the quote unquote naked eye in Minecraft. Um, so I was like, all right, well, that's useful. The problem is that you have to find a geode first if yeah. this is going to be useful in the early uh -huh. game. And if you found a geode, you already have the 
the um, coal and iron and stuff you're already looking for. The stuff so like, that you're, you're going to see yeah, from the surface, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, d I don't necessarily find a use for it. I mean, I'm, of course, used to Optifine. And I liked the animation of it. I found that very snappy. I find I like the zoom animation better than the simple pop from um, far away to close. Um, yeah. that you get with Optifine. Um, I know that, uh, I don't remember which mod it was. I don't know whether it was Logical Geek Boys or whether it was another Zoom mod that was part of all of Fabric 3, that playthrough that I did. Mm -hmm. um, but the Zoom function on that had an animation to it. And I immediately liked it better than Optifine. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh -huh. oh yeah, no. The whole screen just kind of like softly... Um, there's like, um, for the, for those of you that don't know, there's called, it's called an ease in. So you zoom in quite quickly, but as you get to your final destination, the frames start to slow down. So it's fast at first, but then it slows down and eases you into your final zoom. And, yeah. and I find it a lot easier on the eyes than this like pop in and out. Um, it's, it's uh, sort of like, stuff. like an S curve, I guess, in sort of automation yes. animation mm -hmm. kind yep. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, um, precisely. Yeah. The, uh, the spyglass has some really nice sound effects attached to it right now as well. I've also been thinking about the sound side of things because that's something they paid great attention to in the Nether update. Absolutely, yeah. And and something that I would love to see more consistent like improvements to sound. And they they're doing a good job so far, I think, both with the amethyst and now with this because it's kind of it's clearly meant to be like a collapsible spyglass. It has that kind of like click and zzz kind of sound oh, yeah. when, mm -hmm. when you when you first activate it, which I think is great. Um, but yeah, I, I think utility-wise, the Spyglass is still going to be good for stuff like roleplay. I didn't actually test if you can use it from a boat, because I think right now you can't right-click while you're rowing a boat, because you need both hands. Uh, but if you could potentially use it while rowing a boat as well, that'd be kind of fun. Um, for like pirate roleplay kind of stuff, I would expect. But um, yeah, yeah, jury's still out on the Spyglass, but at least we have it now, and we can mess around with it and give some feedback. Um think let's st staying with the glass theme i suppose how about tinted glass because this is kind of an interesting one it is a glass block that actually blocks light and that is gameplay light not just you know it doesn't just make things visibly darker you can create a tinted glass box and as long as there are no blocks missing no regular glass blocks in there it won't let light through and mobs can spawn inside a transparent case so this is really quite an interesting use case and something they didn't mention at all at Minecraft Live. So this one is from out of left field. Um, it's got a new texture. It's got definitely a lot of utility and is potentially just a cool thing for, you know, making interesting looking windows, having a window into your mob spawner so that you can check that mobs are still spawning without having to leave, you know, empty spaces to uh, potentially let light in through. Uh, how do you feel about tinted glass, Joel? Uh, it's going to be very useful. You know, I, I one of the things that drives me nuts about Minecraft farms is that you kind of have to like, well, I hope I built it right. I'm just going to have to sit here and wait to see and then wonder if the yield indicates that enough mobs are spawning. Whereas if I could just look inside and go, oh, yeah, no, that's about six or eight mm -hmm. creepers coming out of there every few minutes. Like, that's fine. That's exactly what I expected. I think that's going to be incredibly useful. Uh, I think that... Uh, I was kind of like surprised, like, I remember this. Why do I remember this? And again, there's a similar function uh, in a kind of glass in all of Fabric 3. And yeah. I, I remember now that tinted glass or glass that does not let light through various names that it has appeared in, in various mods over the years. It's been around for a while in modded Minecraft. So I think that there's probably a lot of vanilla players that have had that experience are like, yes, this is going to be very, very useful. Uh, and the only thing is that it's not going to be something you're going to be building 
walls and walls of, I don't think, because uh, the build recipe for it with um, four amethyst shards uh, around a glass uh, block is um, not the cheapest thing. And yeah. certainly not like you're not going to have this day one unless you're very, very lucky. Uh, and, um, but other than that, I liked it. I mean, I think it, it does, does what it says on the tin and, and I, I thought it worked well. The, the, the fact that you don't need a silk touch pickaxe to get it back is nice again, yeah. because it is rare. It would be kind of crappy if you broke it by accident and go, Oh crap. Now I have to go find more of that. Like mm -hmm. that could be frustrating. Um, I'm curious, uh, when it eventually gets, uh, into the game, uh, especially bedrock, what it will look like in RTX. Yeah, yeah, that could be a really interesting one. Um, right now, the the texture has no uh, textured streaks in it. it, or rather, the streaks are more subtle. They're based on transparency rather than opaque yeah. pixels, uh, mm -hmm. which I really like, and I think was potentially going to be a design for regular stained glass uh, before they added some of the streaks back in because it was difficult to see. Whereas this has a really strong border around the outside. It's kind of like a purplish border because I presume of the amethyst ingredient. Um, the frame of it is kind of purple, but you don't really notice that. Like I, I was building with this next to red sandstone and you know, you get a couple of blocks away, you can't tell that that's purple unless you're looking at it really up close. So I think that's that's a good a good texture for it to have. I wouldn't really change anything right now. And it does make for some cool looking windows, particularly because it darkens the blocks around it. Uh, so if you're building with blocks right up against the tinted glass, then a shadow is cast on the top texture of that block because there's no light getting to it. And that actually lends a lot of depth to windows in the facade that I was building. It was only one block deep, but it really felt like it was deeper because of the shadow that was being cast there. So I like nice. that a lot. Um, I also see a lot of people calling for different colors of tinted glass, and you know, I'm kind of fine if there's just one. Um, I don't think I'll ever need light green tinted glass myself, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if they plan on adding color variants to that stuff. Again, it just means adding 16 more blocks, so yeah. um, I'm not certain if that's kind of on the uh, in the scope of tinted glass, but I think just as a utility block, it is a really exciting prospect. Yeah, the only thing that I would want from it, um, and I don't know, so correct me if I'm wrong, uh, panes. So yeah, if we could um, have panes, that would work. I think that's that's the interesting part, is that panes would then have to block light in like a single strip of pixels below them. Right. And obviously it'd, it'd block light from traveling horizontally, but there's no way of placing panes flat. So yeah, it, it's it's kind of a difficult prospect, I expect, with what they're trying to do with tinted glass. Right. And yeah, I feel like we're just going to have to make our walls one block thicker if we want to use it in that sense. <laughs> yeah, in that sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, uh, other stuff on the docket here, candles. Yeah. Speaking uh, of light, uh, I, I really, this is the first thing that I checked out when I realized uh -huh. there was candles in it because it was an easy thing to grab in place. And, uh, and I immediately, you know, discovered that they work very similar to sea pickles including light levels of three six nine and twelve depending on whether you have one two three or four candles um the uh the animation when you light them with a, a i mean like i immediately kind of thought i'm going to light it with a flint and steel that makes sense i did not check to see how you put them out 
Uh, I'm assuming you can dump a water, bucket of water on them, but that's not super convenient. I don't you, know if you right-click them on them with a shovel. If you, you right, you right-click them with an open hand. It's like you're pinching out the wick of a candle. Ah, yeah. Okay. Cool. I didn't. I didn't try that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping the animation of the flame is temporary. It is currently just a scaled-down port of the torch animation, which to me is far too smoldery for the top of a candle. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think they have an opportunity here to. One, reduce the amount of particles in your world. Um, I don't think every candle needs to have smoke particles coming off the top of it. I think a simple flickering flame animation would be just fine. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and have it be, I mean, Minecraft is pretty cartoony. I think you could go down and have it be, having, having it shaped like that kind of like a leaf, you know, like that single candle kind of, the kind of thing you see in Christmas decorations, you know, like that kind of single flame um, candle animation would be just fine. Yeah. Um, Rather than this 3D particle thing that just when you get four candles, it's a lot. <laughs> like yeah. You're kind of worried you're going to burn the house down sort of thing. Uh, and uh, I didn't really mess much with the various colors. I mean, it makes sense uh, because they want people to be able to um, change them up a little bit. I Again, I don't see myself using a lot of, you know, magenta candles. But the fact that there are black candles and white candles and red candles, like the kind of things you want to maybe put in either a spooky build or, you know, a fantasy build. Uh, immediately we discovered that they float, uh, which means Harry Potter fans are going to lose their minds uh, the next <laughs> time that they want to build something with floating candles. Uh, uh -huh. But I actually was thinking of um, some of the builds that we saw from Elysium Fire in a cyberpunk video several months ago where they were using, um, I can't remember the technique, It's they were using flowers in the air to make holograms. So they turned, is it block tick off? Or, or um, basically the flowers don't, pop off when you remove the block underneath yeah them. yeah sure uh but if candles float and they come in all of these colors which is what the flowers do then you could potentially use candles to do these really cool uh you know um mosaics or images in the air and then either light some or all or or most of the candles to light them up now it's not going to be super super bright depending on how many candles you have in that cluster but like from a distance that would look really sick yeah 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 you could you could do a lot and and it's effectively it becomes like another pixel art tool at that stage yeah right? which is yeah. which is qu quite quite an interesting prospect in itself i hadn't really considered it that way so that's that's got some potential behind it um I'm not really overwhelmed by candles right now. Like it, it's cool to have them. I think they're fine, um, and they're simple enough to obtain. It's just string and honeycomb right now. Just like like mm -hmm. like you're making a torch, but out of those ingredients, um, and they'll be good with the right builds, like you said. And and the sixteen color thing is nice. I think having to light them with a flint and steel makes sense, but it still feels weird to me. Um, yeah. I was thinking I was thinking about other light sources that don't come pre-lit and redstone lamps are the only one I can think of where you have to interact with them after placement to switch them on um and I worry that a couple of people are going to misclick on the candles and just set fire to the wooden wall of their home and end up burning their right. house down right yeah. so I, I do we were worried about burning houses down before I feel like it might happen more frequently than you'd think and that's not something a lightning rod is going to save you from so uh yeah i i am i am curious to see what people do with candles obviously there are some some detail builders who are going to come up with some really interesting stuff even just having a single candle on top of a lightning rod is a fun detail in itself like you said well even so, just having three little candles unlit in the middle of a table like yeah that just sure. that just adds enough you know adds a little bit of life 
uh, little table settings, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, that kind, that kind of stuff is cool. I've I I just put I've got a double fireplace in that uh, farmhouse I mentioned earlier on in the episode, and there's two campfires in it. And while that's cool, it's a little bit much. And it would be neat if you wanted to do some um, custom lighting, whether the candles are visible or not. Being able to play with le light levels of three, six, nine, and twelve uh, in in say a hearth to give it a soft glow or whatever. Uh, I think is really cool. I, I I do always find this interesting when they add you know new light sources to the game. They never seem to go above the fifteen max. Yeah. And the 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 thing that I find there is that well that's great that you've given us some various light levels for aesthetics, but these don't do anything as far as functionality for mob proofing because they're less functional than a torch or you know any other light block that gives off fifteen. And so even though your dimly lit corridor corridor might look immaculate it's going to be deadly unless you spawn proof it another way yeah yeah it's it's interesting really i think it's probably something to do with it being a four bit integer being like the maximum value yep. is 16 so that's probably something to do with that but mm -hmm. i um i do wonder if there is room for expansion there in future if once we have enough light sources they would consider upping that so that potentially sea lanterns could illuminate a much larger area but then a single candle is still only going to do like three or four block light you know, there's, there's potential for the range to expand once we have a little bit more adjustment there. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, I guess, yeah, nice decorative light source. They don't really do much else. It's funny comparing them to campfires when campfires are like the most functional things in the game right now. Um, but yeah, there's there's some, some interest to be had from candles for sure. And it's nice to have them confirmed after they were just kind of teased in the deep dark section of Minecraft Live. Um mm. I know it's going to wrap things up, but uh, yeah. a, a couple of things that I wanted to, to, to mention that definitely struck me uh, as a dirt path being changed to yes. uh, being able to be made from other blocks other than grass is incredibly convenient. I didn't realize <laughs> just how much I wanted this until they added it to the game. I was like, oh man, that is going to make my life so much easier. I was going to say, as somebody who's been building a lot of medieval paths lately, Joel is going to love yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, it, I, I didn't even think it was on the table. I just kind of accepted my fate of having to replace things with grass and then path. And uh, I've actually moved away from grass path because it's such a pain in the butt to just covering everything in coarse dirt and then texturing that after that. Yeah. Um, but now that I can just, if I wanted a uh, dirt path, I can just right click the coarse dirt a couple of times and then get the dirt path. So that'll be um, very convenient. Yeah. Um, the other thing is uh, renewable shulkers could be very interesting. And uh, we use the Shulkermite Voodoo Beer Data Pack on Citadel. Uh, and for those of you that are not familiar, that's when you have to spawn in an Endermite. It has to walk around on purper. And after a specific amount of time, it has a chance to burrow into the purper and create a shulker, which you then still have to fight in order to get the shulker cells. So it's a slow process, but for a, a server that has some adult players that don't have a lot of time, some people that don't necessarily uh, enjoy end raiding and get very agitated when they fall into the void and lose things, and it was the only hour they had to play that week, um, the shulker might um, data pack is really helpful in that way. And so if this is something where renewable shulkers could be farmed uh, it could be really interesting because then you just need one tech-savvy person on a server uh, to then become the most popular person ever. <laughs> yes, it will surprise nobody to learn the Psycraft group already has a shulker farm that makes 330 shells per hour. <laughs> um, 
so yeah it's happened already uh day one of the snapshot of course because you know we, we expect nothing less at this point and I wasn't really able to get the mechanic to work consistently just messing around with a few shulkers in a room. So I think potentially it's going to be a bit more difficult for casual players to mess with. But then again, casual players are probably not thinking on the scale of a big multiplayer server. And as somebody who inhabits a single player world most of the time, there is really not that much difficulty in going and raiding a ton of end cities and getting yourself lots of shulker boxes this really feels like a mechanic for multiplayer servers who are going to want to put the time in to make a farm like that anyway yeah so yeah i agree the footage that i saw from raiseworks who i mentioned earlier was that he was baiting shulker a with either himself or another mob and then putting shulker b in the path of the bullet and yeah. so the the first shulker was consistently shooting in the same direction. Uh, the only thing that I had a question about was like, well, what happens when that shulker that is there dies? How do you get a new one in in place without being in creative mode? It, so like, it's, some... it's about controlling the spaces where the new shulker spawns and then having that replace shulker B in right. the first place so you're, you're kind yeah. of you know re reusing them more or less either that or you splash them with resistance potions assuming that uh, the cloning mechanic doesn't have to happen at a certain damage level or if the shulker right. dies it produces another one then or something like that i don't i'm not certain how that works um yeah but it's i'm gonna have to go check out that that sidecraft video that sounds cool yeah it it, it, may, it makes um you know the the possibility of farming shulkers a thing and in ways that don't involve game manipulation like you know resetting chunks and that kind of stuff i think it's it's ultimately going to be a great thing regardless of how it is implemented if we have any canon way of getting renewable shulker shells then it means server admins have less to do which is important i think mm -hmm. um so so that's pretty cool uh bundles are also in this snapshot as well before we wrap up today um you know no pun intended with the bundles um <laughs> i've i've been playing in creative mostly so bundles aren't exactly necessary there i've messed around with them enough to know what they do and how they operate um, I can already see them being good in survival. It's just what you need them for. And I know a lot of people are more keen on them holding more than 64 items. And I think I, I'm hoping that sooner or later something else comes along that's going to be another addition to inventory management because this is still just meant to be something that tidies up the loose items in your inventory rather than being something that is, you know, you, you just throw five stacks of stuff into your into it from your inventory and you're done. Um they need to have some kind of automation attached to them to really take them from good to essential for me. Um, but one of the most significant things about them is that they are a use for rabbit hide, which previously the only use for rabbit hide in crafting recipes was turning it into leather, which you could already get from cows much more easily. So between that and honeycomb, I think it's nice to see Mojang taking advantage of old items and giving them new crafting recipes. It really breathes life into aspects of the game that players largely ignore right now because they have no other function. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to run out and make bundles because of the challenging recipe. Yeah. Uh, if it was a new world and I was in, a, in a, a desert or near a desert, I would certainly go look for some rabbits. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I, it's, it's cool that it's not just another reason to have a cow farm or you know, leather that people already have. Like I, I like, again, that it's a new recipe, but uh, I was messing around with them and uh, I believe actually you were in the chat for this. We were putting bundles inside of bundles yeah. but it still adds up to one 
stack. So if the bundle A has got 32 things in it, you can put it in another bundle, but then you only have 32 spots left in that bundle. Yeah, uh, it's, it's uh, not it's not a shulkers inside of shulkers situation where no, you can nest exactly. them. Yeah, yeah, um, which makes sense. Um, but to me, it's it's one of those things where I like I wouldn't want to do that accidentally and then try to figure out where that bundle went. So if if it if it works like that, I'd rather not be able to put a bundle inside of a bundle. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. because really you're just taking up room that like it doesn't change the functionality of it. Um, and again, like you said, it's just it's good for cleaning up the inventory when you're like you got flowers and grass and stuff that you're just clearing an area and you don't necessarily need it. Seeds, wheat seeds, all that kind of thing, uh, which I get in some ways, like an early game, you want to keep that stuff for later. Like you don't necessarily want to throw away anything if you're starting a new world. Um, I I don't see myself using that very much but again that is from an end game player perspective like that's yeah. just a that's nah, not going to be for me it's a cool addition but it's not something i see myself using here it here is one way i expect i will end up using bundles and it's leaving a few bundles in a chest somewhere uh near to wherever i'm building right and whenever i get to the point where my inventory is just full of clutter i've got like three stairs of this and four fences of that and mm -hmm. my entire inventory is full i go back to that chest i take the bundle out i right click on the stuff from my inventory i put the bundle back in the chest i'm not carrying the bundle around with me all the time but it's just a nice way to store a bunch of items which would otherwise just get thrown higgledy-piggledy into this chest right like it's a little bit have more that chest <laughs> exactly like the bits chest it's like the junk drawer in your house and now yep you have little organizational compartments for that junk drawer. Like, it's not solving the problem of the junk. It is just giving you ways to organize it better. And I think that on its own is pretty good. Again, I need to start using them in a survival context before I really have perspective on whether or not that's a feature that will be essential to me going forward. But I think yeah. it's a, a nice start. And I think people need to give bundles a fair shake, to be honest. Not that I'm really having to go to bat for bundles here. You can use them or you can't. But I think they are slightly better than people are expecting right now. And, and, I, and I want to point out, too, that in the inventory you know, problem that we all have right now, uh, this is a good step. It yeah. is better than nothing. So I'm not complaining about it by any means. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and if I was starting a brand new world, as I mentioned, I might even do that. You can bet your butt that I'm going to be looking for, like, I'm going to be using them early because I'm not going to have shulkers, you know? <laughs> it's, it's something that I'm going to be going for uh, early on. Uh, something that I do want to mention, I watched this in the Exumavoid video uh, this morning, in that uh, when you place, place a bundle in an item frame, you don't get to see what's in it. Uh -huh. And and so from a server perspective, where you have a community that might have a series of shops, he was obviously thinking about Hermitcraft, you could have a shop where you come in, you pay X amount of diamonds for a bundle, but you've got no idea what you're going to get. Yeah, you have like and blind so, auctions at yeah, that point. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Got, it's got some gamification there too, which I thought was a nice way to think outside the box of the intended use of the bundle, but then also take it to a fun a fun way of, of, of playing with it. Yeah. Also worth noting, uh, GUI change from the bundles we saw at Minecraft Live. These no longer oh, right. have the graphic representation of all of the sprites of the items that are in there. It's an organized list in much the same way you see from a shulker box preview, except from what I can tell, it shows you everything that's in there instead of going and then 22 more items, right? Because I think it's a, a small enough range of stuff that could potentially go in there. 
uh, not if you add up a whole bunch of things because there's a cap to that list. I think it's Is like nine, okay. or, nine or ten different items, and after that, it just says and twenty nine more or something right. like that. Okay, that, that's um, that's so, still more than a shelker box gives us right now, but yes, still um, exactly. only about twice as more. Um, I would still prefer a visual cue, but I need a visual cue that's going to show me things not overlapping. I think yeah. I think a visual UI would be would be like, better, like a little pop up inventory of its own, rather than it being yeah. like a, a a black box with all of the different sprites in there, like it was yeah. at Minecraft Live. And speaking to accessibility, I don't know, and and anybody that knows this, please write into the show uh, spawnchunkmail at gmail com. What is better for people that have any kind of um, disability with with their eyes, like? do you want text to have to read or would you prefer graphic representations of like, you know, roasted chicken, seeds, grass, stuff like that. I just personally would prefer them side by side, not overlapping like a, like a hand of cards, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know if the decision to go with a list is based on information where this is easier for people to read that do have um, some, some uh, impairment or not. Uh, I don't know, but let us know. I'd like to know. Absolutely. Uh, let us know what you liked about this snapshot, what you didn't like. Any of that stuff is really valuable feedback for both us and Mojang at this stage. So it'd be really great to hear from people who have some more opinions about what we've seen this week. And here's some fingers crossed for a few more snapshots in the near future. But for now, that's going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show, links to some of the stuff we've talked about today, including the patch notes for uh, for this snapshot. All of that is going to be listed at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, if you're enjoying the discussions Joel and I have every week, consider putting some value back in and contribute. You can go to patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community. Pledging at any level there gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat and gets us closer to our next milestone goals, which right now is the monthly Minecraft audio hangout, where we just hang out in Discord, kind of like the podcast, but a private version where we just talk about what everyone's been doing in Minecraft that week. Uh, we're currently at 214 patrons, which is another increase from last week. Thank you so much to the new folks who have signed up. And special thanks to our content engineers, General Patton82, Green Akanuk, JD Williamson, and Yitz for your support on this episode. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Sharing a podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It is free. You can find us at the Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast with your friends just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say hey this is a great podcast and then tell them where they can go to listen to it those places might include itunes google podcasts spotify youtube and even amazon podcasts uh, all of which uh, are available for free the rss feed is linked at the spawnchunks.com and the patreon page has the only rss feed for patrons which is where you can listen to the render distance and that's at uh, patreon.com slash the my name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for The Survival Guide and other projects here and there. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. If you're interested in hiring me, just drop me a line through the site. The Citadel Cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can find that at thecitadelcafe.com. Last week, Megan and I talked about a very cool documentary called A Brave Blue World. 
dealing with the world water crisis and uh, definitely worth a watch for people. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and today I'll point you towards twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan where I am farming potatoes. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and bits of it are slowly oxidizing. Mm -hmm.